Good evening, Don't Unfriend Me Nation. Who am I? My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. Welcome to episode 405. One question I get a lot besides where did the new flag come from? Well, it came from the Percival Flag Company. Percivilflag.com. Use Dumb05 in order to get a discount. They are awesome. I know. It's cool. But the other question I get asked all the time is, Red Wave, Matt, what happened to the Red Wave? Well, it is Red Friday, and the Red Wave happened. It just was a little kiddie pool wave. We'll talk about it tonight, and I'll bring you a little bit of insight into why the sky didn't fall, but the heavens didn't part either. I'll be right back after this message. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the show, folks. Appreciate you stopping by to the Don't Unfriend Me show. Tonight, what are we talking about? Well, we already kind of covered it. We're talking about this red wave. What happened? Well, good things happened. Surprisingly enough, I know we expected every single state to go red from the gubernatorial to the uh, state representatives to Senate. And, you know, that's just not the way it works. It doesn't happen. That doesn't happen since... It hasn't happened since Reagan against Mondale, and even Mondale won his own state of Minnesota, barely. What happened? Well, we'll go into it, but I want to talk about the good news first. The good news is Florida turned completely red. 24 of 27 seats are red. That's not even going to be on the map on 2020 for election. Take a look at North Carolina turning red again. That's great. South Carolina turned red again in 2020 and see North Carolina in 2024 is a good sign that that stranglehold on the eastern seaboard, particularly the northeast, is starting to loosen for Democrats as the southwest is for us. But Ohio looked very, very promising and Virginia with Governor Youngkin and the second district falling is actually a good sign as well. There was some good news, surprisingly enough. Now, everyone's focused on the news that wasn't so good, which is a lot of Donald Trump's candidates, besides the ones that were pretty much slated to be reelected, the toss-ups, well, that news wasn't so good. So let's just keep it in perspective. 
But when we look at Democrats, I hear a lot of people say, well, Democrats put in like $50 million into some of these ultra-right candidates, these supposed MAGA ultra-right candidates. And I want to tell you, it's not illegal. They've been doing it for years. And back in the late 1990s, the Democrat candidate, Gray Davis, was running for the California gubernatorial. It was open since the incumbent Wilson was termed out, and he was worried about the moderate Republican, Richard Riordan, winning the GOP nomination because Riordan had a pretty wide appeal just about to everybody. So Davis's team ran ads on conservative media attacking Riordan for being too liberal. That's right. Davis got Lundgren instead, and disclosure, Lundgren was a preferred choice for many, and it helped Davis win. But not enough, obviously, as a preferred choice, and it was good strategy by the Democrats. Back in 2016, Clinton was on her way to her presidential coronation. As we all know, the glass ceiling was about to be broken with all those balloons and the wonderment. A little weird. There were potential GOP opponents who would be tougher than others, so she told her allies in the media to promote two candidates that she thought would have the easy, she would have the easiest time with. She told, told them to promote Ben Carson and, as we know, Donald Trump. The interesting point about that, Hillary interfered in the GOP primary to boost Trump so she wouldn't face Jeb Bush. Hindsight's twenty twenty. This was proven by the WikiLeaks disclosure of the emails from the DNC with Podesta. And there are emails that not only discuss this, but it lays out the strategy. It was called Operation Pied Piper. You can look it up. The Dems promoted candidates like Bolduck in New Hampshire or Kinsinger in the GOP opponent of the primary. It's not necessarily illegal. What's incomprehensible is that the GOP, the grand old party, doesn't do this as well. And I can't think of a time when the GOP interfered in the Democratic primary to promote a far, far left candidate. Maybe in local races, but I've never seen it in a statewide or nationwide race. A prime example would be the two times Bernie Sanders ran. Why wouldn't we invest in his campaign to ensure that it would make it more difficult for people like Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton to obviously get through the primary? But why no red wave? Well, once again, like I said, it was a more of a tide pool or a little burp in the ocean, but it did have an effect. Democrats gained and lost, and Republicans gained and lost. But why? Well, first thing, abortion. This issue did not show up in the polls in the last two months. Every single poll, if you look at, had it ranked 17th or 18th nationally. It was a top two issue in the summer after the Dobbs decision. It dropped off the top five in the most of the issued polls, and it did not hurt GOP politicians in the states that proposed restrictive abortion laws like Governor Abbott in Texas. But it wasn't as unimportant as the polls showed. The polls missed it because most of the people who found this issue important and showed up to vote were the Gen Z single women. They are not voters who most polls can detect. They were the Democrats' version of the submerged Trump voter or the shadow vote. And they turned some races, especially in places like Kansas and Missouri. Number two, hate to say it, people are going to get upset, poor GOP candidates. Some grand old party candidates were a poor fit for their district. Most of them were the ones that Trump endorsed. The prime example, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. He didn't live there. He was a moderate candidate. 
Trump endorsed him anyway, even though the other main GOP candidate, McCormick, was a Trump supporter and had endorsed Trump in 2016. Oz underperformed among the MAGA crowd in Pennsylvania. He barely won the GOP primary by 1,000 votes. He had bad favorability ratings among the GOP base in Pennsylvania. And then we found out that Federer, or Fetterman, or Fettermuter, overperformed in the rural Trump areas of Pennsylvania, according to the vote counts. He didn't win majorities in the MAGA areas of Pennsylvania, but he outperformed Biden in 2020. Think about that. McCormick would have won in Pennsylvania if Trump had endorsed him instead. Trump also didn't support his MAGA candidates financially. He lavished praise on them and held rallies for them, but he did not help them very much financially until the very end. Reason why, if you look at the 90-10 split, is most of the donations that went to these candidates like Herschel Walker or Mohamed Oz were 90% to Trump, and then the other candidate would get 10%. It wasn't changed until a couple weeks before the midterm. Trump has over $100 million in his super PAC. He only gave $10 million at the very end. And turns out McConnell, the establishment guy, ended up putting in more money on these MAGA candidates than Trump did. Thanks a lot, Donald. Even though the Republicans get yelled at in the GOP for realigning money when the race was not looking good. Either way, the GOP failed these candidates, and so did Donald Trump. Trump bragged about his record on endorsements for his endorsed candidates. It's something like 117 or 12 or something, the last time I checked, but that's misleading. What's his record on his endorsed candidates in competitive races? Eight senators and 16 House candidates in competitive races. So far among the eight senators, three won, two lost, and we're waiting on three more that officially need to be announced. In the House, four out of 16 won, eight lost, and four are still undecided or haven't been officially announced. His endorsement record is misleading. He didn't do much to help his endorsed candidates, and he did drag in some candidates in certain areas as much as Biden is for the Democratic candidates. May not be something you want to hear, folks, but it's the truth. Democrats' mail-in ballot system. Not all GOP politicians agree with Trump on this, but Trump's opposition to using mail-in ballots for his supporters to use is unhelpful at best and shooting himself in the foot at the worst. Think about it. Biden did almost no campaigning during 2020. Fetterman campaigned from his basement as well, just like Biden. Hobbs in Arizona didn't campaign very much, didn't even do a debate. None of these three did much campaigning at all, but they started off with a big margin as soon as the polling stations opened on Election Day. How could this be? Because of mail-in ballots and early voting. These guys got their voters to vote by mail, collect them, and get them dropped off at the precincts before Election Day even started. And you're already letting the Dems have a head start isn't a good idea because they already do have more Democrats than Republicans in the registry. There's a uh, prescient comment that a conservative commentator made. Republicans try to get votes. Democrats try to get ballots. There's a big difference between the two. There's a higher cost for Republicans. Now, some of you think that mail-in ballots are ripe for fraud, and I agree, they can be. But how can states like Florida have wide use of mail-in ballots, but they don't have voting irregularities, transparency in the count, and report results on election night instead of election month? unless you go ahead and take the 2000s, but they're basically in the place that Arizona is now back then. 
The GOP has to start using the mail-in ballot system, much like the Democrats. In Nevada, you can have mail-in ballots ready. Go to potential voters and have them fill out the ballot, have them sign it, and turn it in even after Election Day, up to four days after, without any postmark. And it has to be counted. And even if the signatures don't quite match, it has to be accepted. This is not considered fraud. This is the law according to Nevada state election laws. And that's what a lot of people don't get. They say Arizona's slow, Nevada's slow. Well, these are the laws that are in place. And what they've made is this snail's pace in some of these states. It doesn't mean it's good. Certainly when 20 voting machines go down, it's frustrating. And they don't extend election day. That's also frustrating. But this with mail-in ballots? We need to either adapt or die. So why aren't the GOP doing this in Nevada like the Dems are doing? If the GOP and Trump dissuades using mail-in ballot systems, it's like starting off a marathon race with a prison ball and chain on your left leg. We need to figure this out before 2024. Nothing's going to change. Mail-in ballots aren't going anywhere. It's not going to be overturned by the Constitution of the United States or the Supreme Court, because this is a state decision. And how the states interact with their ballots and what systems they use is decided by the legislature. Well, that is unless it's 2020, and you allow the judges to do it, who are all friends with the Democrats, and circumvent the state legislatures in order to put mail-in ballots to people who are unregistered. But that's another story, folks, and certainly I don't want to go ahead and get into that right now. Folks, thanks for watching. Don't unfriend me. I do appreciate it. We are on 8.30 live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and Monday through Friday. We have a recorded show just like now. You can see it and participate if you would like anytime, day or night. Just go to my uh, website at don'tunfriendme.com. Jump on over there and say hello. You can also follow, like, share, and subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Pick up a shirt while you're over there at don'tunfriendme.com with some coffee. Go to PercivilFlag.com. Just, just listen, you better have your credit card ready. Every time you come on the show, there's a bunch to buy and a bunch to do. Folks, last but not least, I'm going to go out like I always do with the Veteran Crisis Hotline. Very important. Please do me a favor. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It is way too many. They need our help. Veterans do so much for our country. The least we could do is provide that battle buddy, that swim buddy, or anybody to help these wonderful people, traumatic brain injury, anxiety, depression, all very real along with PTS. It starts with conversation and that one conversation can change a life. Please provide this number to a veteran. And if you would do that, I would be greatly appreciative. It will never interfere with their duty station. It'll never be reported to their duty station. And if they are not a veteran, it's okay. Veteran Crisis Hotline will not turn anyone away. They believe mental health is physical health. Make that call. Folks, See you tonight live at 8.30. Thanks for watching. God bless. And I will see you in the funny papers. Good night.